It's never too early to study for your boards. Go to truelearn.com and check them out. Use code ROBIN20 for 20% off of your order. You won't be sorry. Welcome to the My OT Journey podcast. Today I am joined by Clarice Grote, who is an inspiring and amazing occupational therapist who has done things that others may have not thought about doing in their career. So take a listen. So I am joined with Clarice and Clarice and I sort of met each other when we were both part of the home and community health special intersection through AOTA. And um, I was sort of amazed at how, I mean, I've been in you know, in academia for a couple of years and I worked in the schools for a while, but Clarice is sort of new. I wouldn't say new anymore, but when (laughs) I met her, she was pretty new to being a therapist and she was so involved and so invested and so empowered to help and to volunteer and to serve um, AOTA. And and I I really, I I respected that. I really found value in that. And um, I'm curious, myself to know Clarice's story today and she's going to share with us what her career path looked like and what it has looked like up until today. So welcome Clarice to our podcast. Thank you. I am glad to be here and I was definitely very new when you met because I was only like four months out of grad school. So (laughs) I was a very (laughs) new clinician. Right. And, and that's really amazing because I know for me, like for my students, the students that graduate, volunteering is not something on their agenda. Like it is just not on their agenda. And I think that it is so amazing. You must have had an amazing foundation um, starting out in in school and in your um, OT program that gave you sort of, I'm assuming, or unless you're so self-motivated, but um, something that sort of pushed you to volunteer early on. Could you share that with us? How did you get into volunteering? How did that become something that you chose early on in your career? Yeah, so I've always, volunteering has always been really important just in my family in general, um, as well as advocacy. Like my parents set a really good example. My mom's in the army, my dad's a lawyer, um, my sister had type one. And so they did a lot of advocacy around type one diabetes. My dad did a lot of advocacy around like payday loan reform. And so they set a really good precedence of volunteerism and advocacy and, you know, voting and all that kind of stuff. And so I've carried that with me throughout my life. And then, so I went to Columbia University. I graduated um, in the spring of 2018. Uh, And so I'm part of the class of 2017, but graduated in 2018. And so I, while I was in school, the 2016 presidential election was occurring. So the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, was a big topic of conversation, lots of conversation around repealing the Affordable Care Act, which obviously the Affordable Care Act meant a lot to everyone, right? You know, making sure that we had coverage. And me personally, right, I was covered because of the ACA because I wasn't yet 26. Um, But if before the ACA, I wouldn't have had health insurance unless I got it through grad school, right? And so lots of really personal reasons to want the ACA to stick around, but then also professional reasons because the ACA expanded coverage of occupational therapy services. And so I didn't want to graduate and then enter into a field where there weren't very many jobs because all of a sudden a bunch of people had lost access to occupational therapy services. And so that's where I really started thinking, what can I do? How can I get involved? Um, How can I make sure that my voice is represented? So I started looking into a level two fieldwork opportunity And I had remembered that someone had mentioned that doing a fieldwork at AOTA was a possibility. 
And so that's where I really started thinking and started looking. Um, and so I ended up pursuing an AOTA field work. And so with Columbia, we had to do a level two in mental health and a level two in phys dis. And so this was an elective third level two field work. And so I have my master's, so it wasn't a capstone. So I applied, um, you have to get letters of rec and that kind of stuff. And fortunately I was selected to do a level two field work experience with the federal affairs team. So I actually moved to DC that was in the fall of 2017. So September through December, I lived in Washington, DC. I went to AOTA headquarters every single day to work. Um, and I worked with their federal affairs team. So our federal affairs team at AOTA is responsible for all the lobbying and advocacy that goes on at AOTA at the federal level. And so we have lobbyists who work there. My supervisor was Heather Parsons, who's the head of the vice or head of the federal affairs team and is also an occupational therapist. Um, and so I spent three months, you know, learning how much of an impact policy and regulation has on our profession and learning what, why it's so important, um, learning how to speak to legislators. Like I went to the Hill and participated in meetings. So it's just a really fascinating experience. And I think like any student, I was trying to figure out what the heck do I want to do after grad school, <laughs> right? Do, you know, I knew I didn't want to work with peds. That was like the only thing I knew for sure, right? But I didn't know otherwise what my goals were. Um, and so, but doing that work, it really clicked for me. Like, oh, this is what I like. I really like the policy. I really like reading those complex documents and figuring out what does it mean for OT and where can occupational therapy have an impact and how does this impact my job? And so from that moment, I started shifting everything that I did with the goal of getting a career in policy. And so I have always been a big um, believer in that you need to create as many doors as you possibly can and then work hard to make them open. So I don't believe in the one door closes, one door opens. I believe that you need to make multiple doors and multiple opportunities and then that's the good way to make sure that something happens. So I networked like crazy, applied to all sorts of things. Um, and that's kind of how I started gaining experience as a new grad. And so that's how we met is right after graduation, they had opened up the advocacy and policy coordinator positions with the special interest sections. That was a brand new position. I definitely did not check the boxes. Like they wanted, mm -hmm. you know, like six years of experience and all this practical stuff. And I asked people, I'm like, should I even apply? Because I don't meet all the requirements that they want. And they said, yes, you know, Heather told me, go apply. A couple other people said, just give it a chance. So I put in my application and I was fortunate enough to be appointed. So mm -hmm. I got my first national uh, leadership position within two months of graduating grad school. And so I am a perfect example that it is possible to get involved early. You don't need 20 years of experience and a PhD in order to be a leader and to be in order to be an effective advocate, you just need to get involved. Hmm. Okay, students, listen up to that. That's really good information, right? <laughs> so if someone has, with two, two months of experience in the field gets appointed for a position, that, I mean, that means you can do it, right? If, if Clarice can do it, you can definitely do it. And it sounds like it, it takes a lot of motivation. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of working on your own fears as far as, you know, am I qualified? Am I not qualified? And your uncertainties, but definitely, you know, um, if you want something and you, and you try, I think that's really the biggest key is to really try, um, not, you know, not to, to believe in yourself, really to, to advocate for yourself and, and try and, um, follow what speaks to you, follow what feels right. And, 
not everyone is going to take that traditional, you know, path. Everyone has their own paths. Um, and that's something really to think about as you go into the profession. And I think that um, also a lot of people, a lot of students especially, are hesitant about taking those AOTA fieldwork options. And they could be a really good option for some students. Um, you know, specifically you, it really worked in your favor and, and you really got that good background there. But I think students have to sort of think about really assessing their situation and seeing if doing their fieldwork at AOTA would be an option for them. So that's that's a really interesting part of your journey. I did not know that you did your fieldwork there. Wow. Okay, cool. Okay. So, yeah, that's how I'm so connected. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely connections are really helpful. And, um, you know, we I was talking at a summit this weekend and we were talking about, you know, academia and research and how clinicians are afraid of contacting those in academia to be part of research. And we were just saying, it's really about the connections. It's really about networking, meeting other people, reaching out, not being afraid, um, and, you know, and building those relationships. So it sounds like you had some really good connections from there. Um, from that point, what did, what, what did your career look like at that point? You were, you were um, just starting out, you were two months into practice, and then what? What, what areas did you work in at that point? Yeah, so like any new grad, I took the NBCOT, was fortunate enough to pass, um, and then immediately started looking for a way to get paid. <laughs> so I got my first job in home health. I actually had a really hard time getting a job, and this is a quick policy story, but so in Missouri, when I was applying for jobs, which is where I'm from, I kept looking for jobs and I kept getting turned down, and I just didn't understand why. Like I'm, before I'd even get an interview and I was just like, I don't understand why I'm getting turned down from all these jobs. Well, because I got involved with the Missouri State Association, I ended up learning because this is another keynote, make sure you read your practice act as soon as you move to that state and read it thoroughly because I had missed that there was a line in the Missouri State Practice Act that said new grad occupational therapists are not allowed to supervise OTAs until they have one year license experience. And that was why I wasn't getting any jobs because all these positions needed people who could supervise OTAs because they were like sniff positions and home health positions. And so that's why I couldn't get a job. We fixed it because of that issue. But, you know, it's <laughs> one of those. So but it's one of those things where this is a, an, an example of how policy plays such a huge role in your life as a clinician. And so fortunately, I found a company that hired me. They did not know about the rule. And I was the one who brought it to their attention because I asked how we were going to handle that in Missouri, um, which is the good thing I brought it up because they didn't know, which means that I would have, if I hadn't known, I would have been violating the state law without even knowing it for most likely a full year <laughs> until um, I was then all of a sudden in compliance. So again, another good reason, right, to read your state practice act. Um, but so I got a job in home health. I worked on the state line. So I worked both in Kansas and Missouri. I worked for that job for nine months, and then I ended up going to acute care because it just ended up being too much driving for me. I was seeing a lot of rural patients, so driving like six hours a day, it was too uh -huh. much. Yeah, um, and so I ended up getting a job in acute care, so I worked in acute care for two and a half years, um, so all throughout the pandemic. But during that time, I was still participating in the volunteer position, so the AOCA position was a three-year-long position, so I was in that for three years. 
as soon as I moved back to Missouri, I immediately got involved with the state association because, again, networking, right? I went to school in New York, so coming back home, I didn't really know any OTs. So a state association is a fantastic way to network. I'm really big on networking and knowing people. And so I emailed them and just said, hey, I want to get involved in policy. I really like advocacy. What can I do? Um, do you have any committees? And sure enough, they had an advocacy committee, so I joined that. Um, got experience, brought up the Practice Act issue. We were able to get that repealed with the group working on it. And then they needed someone to run for director of practice, and they asked me. So then this is one year after grad school. So at that point, I was then elected to the director of practice for the Missouri Occupational Therapy Association, which put me in charge of our entire legislative agenda. Um, and so I'm responsible for getting the, as long as with my other committee members, of getting the licensure compact passed in the state of Missouri. And so that was a big win. So if you're kind of keeping on timelines at this point, I'm about two years out of grad school. I've am halfway through, you know, my director of practice position, halfway through the AOTA position and just kind of seeking out opportunities, speaking at the state conferences, speaking at AOTA Inspire. So just kind of looking for all these different opportunities to gain experience and watching all these CEUs. So it was a lot of work. I don't want to say that it wasn't right. You know, I don't have kids. Um, you know, I and so I have time in the evening. So it was basically working a full time job and then coming home and doing a lot of volunteer work, all with the end goal of being able to get into a poly policy position within three to five years. And so that was my goal. And it took a lot of work. And that's where I am now, because it was October of 2020 that I decided to start finally um, doing something on my own. And that's where Amplify OT was born. Wow. Okay. So you're going to talk to that Amplify OT in just a minute, but some key points from what you had said is really know your practice act, right? Know your state practice act. Every state is different and that's super important for new grads or for seasoned therapists. I mean, you really need to look at it and see if there are any changes, keep up with it. And then um, also never like, uh, you know, don't have goals. Like it's really important to set goals, you know? And I think that's sort of like a big portion of why you've done so much in such a short time is that it seems like you're setting goals for yourself. And I think that setting goals are super important because we all want to do all types of things, but if you have like a clear path in your mind, or even you write that your goals down in a notebook, like we do for our patients, it's right there for you to look at and to assess, um, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, it's right in front of you just to see, and you can be honest with yourself and see, you know, am I getting towards this goal? Do I need to change something? Do I need to get more involved? Do I need to pivot? Um, and I think that that is super important and, you know, and you had shared that and, and all your work is so amazing. I mean, I did not even know any of this, really. <laughs> but that I knew about the Amplify OT, but I did not know about the state association information. And, I, you know, it is really crucial, again, to be part of your state association, go to those conferences, speak to those people, network with them, because those people are in your own state. AOTA is great, but you also need to be a part of your own state association and network with those individuals. Um, so tell us a little bit about Amplify OT. What is Amplify OT? So Amplify OT is my company. It's what I currently do full time. So I am fully non-clinical, which I just want to say for anyone who's hesitant about non-clinical, you can absolutely be a non-clinical uh, therapist and still be considered an OT just because you're not treating patients doesn't make you less of a therapist um, or less of a practitioner. So I now do Amplify OT full-time. I started it in the fall of 2020, so right in the heat of the pandemic. 
But really what I wanted, so I took a course called Therapy Blogging 101. I had kind of wanted to start my website um, and this course popped up. It's run by Meredith Castens, the non-clinical PT, um, as well as Shanda from Pink Oatmeal. And so they basically put together a course to teach therapists how to start a website because, right, I didn't learn that in school and I have no web design experience, but now I do. Um, and so I started my website originally just to kind of serve as a blog Honestly, what I thought it would be would be basically like an online portfolio, because at this point I'd written articles for AOTA through like the SIS position, um, but AOTA has copyright over all those articles. And so I couldn't really share them with other companies without violating some copyright laws. Um, so if anyone asks, I'd never shared them with anyone who wasn't an AOTA member, um, but I um, wanted a place to write under my own name. And so that's where I started my blog. And I wanted a way too to kind of fill the gap because every time I'd try and look up information on policy and reimbursement, I would find articles for nurses, for doctors, for physical therapists, for companies but yet I never found anything for OT unless I went to AOTA's website, which AOTA has a lot of fantastic resources, but sometimes I wanted something a little more specific or something that was more available to people so that I could share it with them as a resource if they weren't an AOTA member. So that's really what prompted me to come up with Amplify OT and start working on it. And I just put in time, I kind of was moving through the motions and things just started taking off. And so obviously I had struck a nerve. It was a need. People saw that there was a need for it. Um, there's a big gap in policy knowledge and reimbursement knowledge, especially surrounding Medicare, a lot of misunderstandings around Medicare. And so I've just kind of, again, continued to network and grow and think of new ideas and create goals. Um, and so when now we're fast forward to like the fall of 2021. I'm moving from Missouri to North Carolina. So I have to leave my non my clinical job as a therapist. Um, I was really burnt out after the pandemic working in the hospital. And so I was really hoping I didn't have to continue working PRN work. Um, and it just kind of things came together. I was coming up with different revenue sources. And then I was really fortunate that AOTA ended up reaching out to me and asking if I'd like to contract with them so to do some work for them um, on a per diem basis. And so that ended up really kind of helping shore up my income um, to allow me to focus more on growing my business um, and kind of supplemented some of that PRN income as a therapist. And so I've been really fortunate to work with them um, and to work with other companies. I've worked with CEU companies. I work with some private practice clinicians uh, through some consulting um, I sell courses. And so it's really just been kind of an experience and figuring out where can I make money? Where can I be most useful to people? Um, and so that's just part of the whole entrepreneurship gig. <laughs> I love how you took your, your passion and your, you know, career path and you sort of went with it and grew it. Um, I, I think that's amazing. I think that you were, you know, it sounds like you were patient with yourself, but um, you let it sort of evolve and it's amazing what it has become. Um, it's, it's just, it's so different. It's so needed. And I think that it's really inspirational to students to really see that if they sort of are patient with themselves and listen to what they are choosing and, and really think about what they like and what they don't like, then they can really do amazing things. Um, and this is really, it's out of the box. And I don't know, you know, many OTs that are doing this. So I think, I really think that it's an amazing area to work on. Um, what are your goals for the future? You've done this. You've done so much. Where do, what does the future look like for you? 
That is such an excellent question. I think that's the hard part of owning a business and coming up with those strategic goals of like, what is next? I mean, in terms of like pure business goals, my goal is to build up like what we call passive income. So passive income is money that I can make that doesn't involve my direct one-on-one time um, because that's a better way to kind of grow a business, right? We only have so many hours in the day. And so if you're always working on something that's a direct stream of income, then you can only make so much money. Um, and so building up that passive income, because also since I employ myself, I don't get PTO, I don't get holiday pay. And so you need other ways to kind of supplement that if you want to take time off. Um, in terms of where I kind of hope to amplify OT to grow, I mean, my main goal is basically just reaching people and helping empower people to understand what their value is as occupational therapy practitioners, how they can get involved. And so anytime someone tells me that they took action because they saw my article on why it's important or they read about this. And so now they've been able to go to their boss and tell them that a policy was wrong. And here's the information as to why anytime I hear that, that means that I've been successful, right? Because I'm trying to get this information out in a way that's digestible and easy to understand. And so I'm really growing um, my courses because I really love public speaking. I'm one of those people who really like talking <laughs> to people and being in front um, of a crowd. You know, I love the sound of my own voice, <laughs> so um, which makes it an easy thing to do presentations. And so that's where I'm most comfortable um, conveying information. So I do it through my own podcast, which I'm growing and doing it through um, courses. I actually developed a comprehensive course that actually launches October 10th. Um, but it's my mastering OT policy and Medicare course. And so it's like a five and a half hour course, basically uh, like your health policy course that I wish people always got in school, but in a more compressed version specifically for like uh, practitioners working in adult rehab. So like acute through hospice. Um, it's definitely not peds based. So, but if you work with people who have Medicare, this is what I bid it for. And so kind of taking all this information that I've learned over the last four and a half years, putting it into a course that I wish I had when I started to try and help people understand what is a myth about Medicare, what's a fact about Medicare, because I see people every day on social media asking all these questions. Um, either they're incidentally admitting that they've created, you know, accidentally committed fraud on a federal level with Medicare or where they are losing money, frankly, because someone told them that Medicare only covers three OT visits at home health, which is absolutely not true, but that means you're losing money and your patients are losing access. And so policy and reimbursement has a huge impact just on what we do every single day. And so by not understanding that we're either leaving money on the table, we're losing negotiation power because, or you're losing the ability to get a leadership position, right? Because if you want to be a director of rehab, then you best know where that money's coming from and how to get it because otherwise, how are you going to be able to pay your staff, right? And so it's just, it's everywhere, but it's something that we just don't pay as much attention to because it's not an, not always an easy or an overly fun topic, but I try okay. to make it as relatable and fun as I possibly can. <laughs> That's that's really that's really an amazing thing because I, you know um, I do some home health and I sort of try to explain that to my students and explain it to the patients that I work with but it's not an easy topic to explain and it's not an easy topic to break down. So would you say that the course is good for um, new grads? Is that or new grads and seasoned therapists in the field? It's not for students specifically, but for new grads, right? 
So it's kind of for both. And so I actually have a few programs who have invested in the course. And so they have bought it for their students to supplement mm. um, their education because I've heard back from a lot of professors that they maybe only spend a couple of hours on teaching health policy or teaching reimbursement because there's this thought that you'll learn it in the field. And I have found that not to be true. None of my jobs ever taught me how to pick the correct evaluation code or what the difference is between Medicare and Medicare Advantage. You just kind of learn it through hearsay, which is the terrible way to learn policy. And so it's actually the exact same course um, that I give to practitioners that the students take. And so students are more than welcome to sign up for it. Um, obviously, you can't use the CEU credit because you don't have a license. So I primarily cater it towards new graduates and seasoned practitioners, anyone who needs that Medicare boost, um, especially if you're kind of going from pediatrics into adult rehab or um, you know, trying to describe the difference of Medicare and Medicare Advantage and Part A versus B kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies, you know, then this is a good right. course. Um, but it's really great also for students. And so if students want to make the investment, that's fantastic. But it's also great when programs are able to purchase access for their students as well. Oh, that's a really good option. And um, it's a really good option. Students always have uh, lots of questions on that. They're always very wary going into the field. So especially even into field work, I think that's a great option for them. Um, so you've been super successful so far, but we all have some difficult times and some challenges. Could you share one challenge you could think of along your journey so far? Oh, gosh. I mean, there are plenty. And I think that's, you know, Obviously, it feels very successful, but I also will admit that Amplify OT is not necessarily paying the bills, right? It's been <laughs> up until recently that I've been making enough money to kind of make enough to invest back in it. But up until now, I've made like $400 tops a month off of Amplify OT specifically. So it looks good, but it's, you know, you have to give yourself two to three years to kind of really start bringing in any money. Um, so just figuring out what I wanted to do, like as an entrepreneur, there's constant self-doubt constant imposter syndrome, like, why would anyone want to listen to me? Do Are people going to be, are people not want to, going to want to listen to me because I don't have enough experience? Or are they not going to want to hear what I have to say because I only worked four hours in the SNF, so how, how can I really understand PDPM, right? You know, so there's just constantly those awful voices in your head. Um, and so surrounding myself with supportive people and a supportive family um, to tell me that, no, you do, you know, your stuff. <laughs> So that's always helpful um, for days that aren't so good. I've definitely also had really big frustrations um, while working. You know, I tried to get some policies changed at one of the last places that I work. I, one of the policies we had just wasn't very evidence-based in terms of treating DBTs. I felt like our clinical judgment wasn't being respected. We weren't really allowed to practice to our full scope in some of those areas. And so a PT and I teamed up to develop a program and unfortunately, it mostly went nowhere. It kind of started moving through the motions, you know, I mean, and this was like a year long process. And so, and then I moved before it ended up finishing. And I think it just got lost after that. But so there's definitely times like that, where you try and fight for something and you put a lot of time and effort into it, and it just doesn't go anywhere. Um, we had a big loss in Missouri while we were there, there was a Medicaid bill um, that was expanding reimbursement for non-pharmacological pain management. So basically uh, uh, something to help expand coverage for chronic pain that didn't involve opioids. And PT was listed as a service that could get reimbursement. OT was not. We advocated for OT to be added on there. They told us, oh, of course, OT will be listed. And the bill passed and we were not on there. 
So there's plenty of times where we've advocated for change and you do everything that you can. And unfortunately it doesn't pan out the way you wanted it to. Um, And so there's plenty of hiccups and bumps along the road. I've definitely also made products and I thought, man, this is going to be, you know, banging product. People are going to love this. And no one did. (laughs) So there's, you know, you're constantly failing forward. Right. I, I totally get you. I, well, most of you don't know, but Clarice and I both know that I have a textbook that had started pre-pandemic and it actually is being <laughs> typeset and printed right now. And I promise that it's going to be coming out in the next couple of months because I've seen it with my own eyes. But that's been one uh, hiccup along the road for both of us. So, yeah, we're definitely, definitely ups and downs for sure. But what are you most proud of? Like you've done so much. What is your, you know, your, your proudest moment? What are you super proud of right now? Um, I'm proud of finally starting to feel confident in what I'm doing and feeling comfortable saying that, you know, I am the CEO of my company, right? And so finally feeling like the shoe fits. And so that's really been, and that's taken a lot of work and a lot of kind of adjustment and reassuring myself and talking to other people. Um, And so that's something I'm just really proud of that I really saw an opportunity, I saw an opportunity and I leaned into it and I was able to pursue it and I haven't quit. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's the hard part, right? When things get hard, it's really tempting to quit. Or, you know, I thought, oh, maybe I should go back to PRN work because you kind of let people get inside your head. And so I'm really glad that I'm proud of myself for being able to stick to it and to keep open-minded um, and to just kind of keep rolling with the progress and not let unsolicited advice, I will say, um, steer me away. Cause I've had plenty of people say, oh, well, maybe you should go work for an insurance company full time. And then, then you'll, you'll get some really good experience and then come back to this. Or, you know, don't you feel like you're going to lose your ability as an OT if you don't see patients in the clinic, you know? So just all these kind of different things and they start to kind of get to you, but I've been able to, um, put them aside and keep moving. And so I'm, I'm proud of myself for that. And to kind of, you know, build a goal that I didn't imagine, you know, kind of breaking away from, cause I will admit being a clinician has its pros and cons. You know, I, I love seeing patients. I thought they were great. Um, but I didn't like working holidays. I didn't like having to work weekends. Um, and so it's been great to be able to create and my own kind of goals and my own dreams. And so we'll see who knows, maybe 10 years from now, I'll hopefully still be doing this or I'll be, doing something completely different. It's hard to say, but for now, <laughs> right, I'm and really that's okay. It. <laughs> yeah, that's totally okay. And you're super new still. I mean, you're still super new as an OT and you've done so much so far. So I can't even imagine what 10 years from now would look like for you. Um, and I'm super excited to see what that looks like. Um, could you share with us, if you had to give a tip or two to, a stu- to students or to new grads, what would you share with them? Um, I would say network. And get involved is my number one tip. Uh, You're never going to regret getting involved and meeting other people um, and, you know, talking with them and figuring out how they can help you as well as how you can help them. So keep up your contacts, you know, stay in touch with your professors, stay in touch with your fieldwork supervisors, um, get involved with your state association. That's a really low barrier of entry in terms of getting involved as a state association. Um, So that's my number one tip is to meet people, um, tell everyone what your goal is. Like everyone that I met, I said, I want to work in policy, right? 
whenever I interviewed, I would love to work in policy. So if there's an opportunity here to do that, that would be fantastic because people can't help you reach your goals if they don't know what they are. And so anytime I interviewed, anytime I met people, I told them I wanted to work in policy. And so that way, when they have an opportunity, they think, oh, she was interested in policy. Maybe we'll reach out to her. Um, and so tell everyone what your goal is and what you want. And it's okay if it's not specific, but if you have a direction that you want to go, tell them that. Um, and then I would say my last piece of advice is to always apply. You will never get a yes if you don't put your name in the ring. You know, I've always said there's plenty of people out there to tell you, no, you aren't good enough or no, you aren't qualified. And we shouldn't add our own voices to that. I think especially as a, you know, women, female dominated profession, we have a lot of those, you know, socialized thoughts about that we need to check all of these boxes, that we have to be perfect before we apply for a position. Um, and I, frankly, no one's going to invite you to the table. You just need to know that you deserve a seat because every position that I have ever gotten, I will admit, I have never felt qualified when I applied. And I definitely did not check all of the boxes. I've applied for jobs before that say they required a PhD. I applied for jobs that say they require 10 years of experience. Did I get all of them? No, but do they know who I am now? Yes. You know, so it's one of those things that just take the chance and apply because you never know. And I definitely didn't feel qualified, but you know, when have we ever gone to a job and they expect you to be a hundred percent prepared on day one, you know, and that's where that network is so important um, because you rise to the occasion, you know, you figure it out. That's where occupational therapy, I think, has so many fantastic skills is we are really experts in that problem solving and that task analysis piece and goal development. And tell me one job where those skills aren't useful, whether it be OT or something non-clinical. And so you have the skills, you have the knowledge to learn, to figure it out, and you can then apply those skills to literally anything that you want to do, which is why we see OT practitioners in so many different fields, all the way from policy to development to working as clinicians. You know, we have lots of medical training, but our true skills are really in that task analysis and problems piece. And that's what really makes us so unique, I think, as a profession. That's, that's, so true and so amazing. And it's definitely one of the reasons why I love our profession. Um, but that's really good advice for students. And I, I hope that they, they listen to that advice and they take it all in and, and they are as successful and as, want, as motivated to volunteer as early on as you are, because I think that's really special. Um, Clarice, if students or seasoned therapists want to reach out to you or contact you or see what you do, how can they follow you? Yeah, so my website is amplifyot.com. So I have a free newsletter. Um, I send out one usually once a week. You know, I'm a one-woman show, so sometimes you won't hear from me for a couple of weeks if things get busy. Um, so amplifyot.com is my website. I also have a podcast, the Amplify OT podcast. Um, and so I post there once or twice a month. Um, all things about policy. And so that's kind of my business side. I'm also everywhere on social media at Amplify underscore OT. So Instagram is where I tend to post the most, but I'm also on TikTok, Pinterest, Twitter. Um, so you can follow me there. Uh, you can get in contact with me that way. You can get in contact with me through my website or also my email, which is cgrody at amplifyot.com. 
So I definitely welcome people reaching out, asking me questions. I do one-on-one training or consulting if that's what you need. Um, So lots of different ways, but either social media or through my email and website, those are the best ways to find me. Thank you so much, Clarice. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast and I'm wishing you tons of luck and really looking forward to all that you will accomplish and are accomplishing right now. It's never too early to study for your boards. Go to truelearn.com and check them out. Use code ROBIN20 for 20% off of your order. You won't be sorry.